0: Hello and welcome everyone. It's really wonderful to be with you today. Thank you so much for joining us online in this very special Connect Sunday service. Today we're going to talk a little about something a little unusual. We're going to talk about habits and the importance of habits. Now, what why are we going to do this? You could legitimately ask. You know, Brad, where's that section in the scripture that says, Thou shalt do habits? Uh, it's not really something we encounter super often. But it's something that I have been wanting to speak on because it's been something that God has been calling me to reflect on and to think over. There's an old song by a band called Casting Crowns called The Altar and the Door. And the song speaks about how God can impact us really significantly at the altar. In other words, in in a corporate Christian gathering where, where we're all together and the Spirit of God is at work And we can just really feel his presence and he speaks to us and he moves us and he calls us into obedience and it's wonderful. But then that impetus can fade in the journey from the front of the church where God has ministered to you as you walk out the door. And by the time you get home, you've often forgotten the thing that God did with you when you were together with God's people. And so today, my contention is quite simple. My contention is this. If we obey God through habits, we are more likely to become the people that God desires us to be. And it will be far more likely that the impetus that we get at the altar is going to be carried through and lived out in the rest of our lives. So that's the case I want to make. Let me do my best to build it and you can see where you land with me afterwards. All right yeah here's let's let's start here one of the most important goals in the christian life has got to become to be more like jesus to become more like jesus that's got to be one of the most significant and important goals that we as christians live for we've got to become more like jesus in both the things that we do and in the people that we are both of those things have got to grow in us to become more like jesus Paul actually says this explicitly twice, uh, at least in the scriptures, probably more. Romans 8.29, he's busy speaking and he says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son, to be made more like Jesus. That's what God does in salvation." Those he foreknew, he predestined. He predestined them for salvation so that they could become like Jesus. What about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18? Paul again writes and he says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Unlike Moses, we had to wear a veil over his face. We have unveiled faces. We're able to see the Lord without the veil. We're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. This this is Paul's contention. We are being transformed as we contemplate God into his image. We are becoming more like Jesus. That's the call of our Christian faith. That's what God has for us. So at a very basic level then, one of the primary activities of the Christian life is change. It's change from who you are into becoming the version of yourself that is more like Jesus. That's what we're about as Christians. And that change works in two directions. It works by pulling us away from something where, where we were and moving us toward something else that we need to become. And I think that sometimes, unfortunately, as Christians, we, we don't do change all that well. And quite often we get stuck between the conviction and the implementation of that conviction. We, we hear God calling to us we, we feel the conviction of the Spirit. We receive that and we resolve. We're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do, God. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to cut this thing out. I'm going to do this more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to speak to my friends more about Jesus. I'm going to, whatever it is. And that resolve, it starts really strong. And then it slowly, over time, kind of peters out. Until the change that God desired to bring about in us doesn't really happen because we haven't done it well. And so I want to speak a bit into this idea today because I believe that habits can help us do change better so that we can be more like Jesus, right? Not just for the sake of having good habits, but if we can change and think in habits. We will become more like Jesus and we will be able to be better at becoming more like Jesus. So let's start, let's start with the negative, all right? Because habits op- operate on two sides of the coin. So let's start with the negative side of habits. Habits that keep us in sin. There's an interesting scripture in Jeremiah 13 verse 23 and it says this. It says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? the leopard his spots, then also you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Let's talk about what Jeremiah is saying here for just a moment. Jeremiah is speaking to the people of Judah, and as is sadly not uncommon in the prophets, he's rebuking them for their continued sin, as you can see in verses 22 or 25. If you go and read the passage, Verse 22 says, And if you ask yourself, why has this happened to me? Well, it's because of your many sins. God makes it very clear. Verse 25, this is your lot, the portion I have decreed for you, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and you have trusted in false gods. So, Jeremiah speaking to the people of Judah because they have sinned. And verse 23 then becomes God's commentary on the people's many sins. And it's phrased in this interesting rhetorical question that has an implied answer that's clearly ridiculous. Can a person change their skin color? Remember, modern science doesn't exist at this point, right? The answer is clearly no. You can't change your skin color. You are who you were born. Additionally, is it possible to have a leopard that doesn't really have any spots on its coat? I don't know if any of you have seen such a leopard. I've never seen such a leopard because a leopard always has spots. Again, the answer is clear and the answer is no. God's commentary on his people reflects these two... Bleak pictures. He says, when a person can change their skin tone, when a leopard can lose its spots, then my people will stop sinning. I mean, that is a pretty depressing statement from God. And it's why if you read this verse in a more dynamic translation, you will see that the the start of the second sentence doesn't start with then. But it says, "Well, well, neither. Just as it could read. A person can't change their skin tone. A leopard can't change its spots. Neither will you stop sinning. So it's a pretty bleak start. But let's explore this verse just a little bit more. Because while God starts here, when we understand this verse in context, it it gives us a little bit of, of help in understanding it a bit better. Because if we look at the broader picture of Jeremiah 13, the rebuke is given in the context of a call to repentance. Verse 15 says, hear me and pay attention to my words. Verse 17, if you do not listen, then these things will follow. Their sinfulness, the sinfulness of the people of Judah is not cast in stone. Repentance is still possible, but it's going to be hard. In fact, it's going to be exceedingly hard. And when we explore just a bit more, we see why. Because they have become accustomed to doing evil. This phrase alerts us to the habitual nature of the sin that's involved. It's not just that the people do evil. But it's that evil has become a habit. It's something that they've become used to doing. It's that they do it now. They commit evil without even having conscious thought. It's just their default. See, when sin becomes a habit, it becomes even more difficult to break. Because when sin becomes a habit, habit reduces the perceived wrongfulness of sin. Because we do it over and over again, we begin to rationalize the sin that we commit in our own minds. We euphemize it so that it no longer seems to be that bad. Sometimes we even replace the words that God uses to describe that sin with gentler ones, with softer ones, so that we feel better about our sin. We also, we struggle to build motivation to deal with sin that's become habit because it's so a part of our lifestyle. We've become adjusted to that sin. And to deal with it might have very significant consequences. It might be financially expensive. It might be relationally explosive. If this person had to find out the kind of sin we were involved in, what would it do to our relationship? That's a real, that's a real challenge. And so, and so we try not to deal with the sin because to deal with the sin has these consequences. And so habitual sin is able to entrench itself even further. Now, this theological truth is something that science has come to understand and agree on in recent years. Right, so let me, let me explain and unpack a little bit about how habits work, how scientists have determined that habits work. And habits essentially can be broken down into four parts. Right? So a habit starts with some kind of trigger, some kind of cue, something that, that is going to prompt in you a craving. That's the second part of the habitual cycle. Right? So there's a trigger, the trigger creates a craving, the craving leads to some kind of response, some kind of behavior on your part, and that response, that behavior gives you a reward. And so you've got the cycle that starts with trigger, it moves into craving, it goes from craving to response and from response to reward. So let's, let's like explain that with, with a few examples. Let's talk about our phones for a moment. Right? You know why your phone vibrates? makes a sound so not only so that you can hear it, it, it does that because it wants to catch your attention. And that that sound, that vibration, creates a craving in you. That sound vibration is the cue. Then then there's a craving. I need to see who has messaged me, who's emailed me. I need to see what they have to say. And so that prompts the response, let me check my phone. Let me pull it up, see see what it says. All right. And that gives us the reward. Okay, I know who contacted me. I know what they want. I can reply. Maybe, maybe there's the you know people actually like me. They love me. Someone cared enough to send me a message, right? Particularly with phones, they're they're genetic. They're they're wired neurologically to release dopamine in our brain when we get that satisfaction of of seeing the messages that we get. Right. So that's that's one example. That's that's how your phone works. Let's talk about food. Let's talk about chocolate, for instance right? What's the trigger? What's the cue? Well, you, be, you begin to feel hungry. You begin to feel a bit snacky. It's, you know, it's hitting that three o'clock slump. You're feeling a little bit low. What do you do? Oh, here's a craving. Your chocolate will make it better. If I could just go and get, like guys, I know this, right? Because this is, this is my darling wife, Kendra, to her tea. She's worked really hard for this to, to not dominate her life, but it's, it's a strong craving. Ooh, chocolate will make it better. Sugar will make it better. song will make it better. Whatever it happens to be for you, Right, and so your response, your behavior is, well, I'll just I'll walk across the road to the engine or the bp or whatever it is, the shop, right, and I'll just buy us a little chocolates, and then I'll eat it and I'll feel better. And that's my reward. I don't, I feel better. I feel nice. I feel like I've, I've broken through the slump. I, you know, I've released some endorphins into my into my system. What about a work block? All right, what happens when you get mentally stuck with a problem or a task that you're processing at work, and so you go, oh man. I just I just I need a distraction there's there's the craving I need a distraction so what do we do oh we pull up our phone check social media quickly if you can hear things falling over in the background that is the exciting wind that is blowing into my garden at the moment. Wednesday is a crazy day Uh, What do we do? feel stuck. We need a distraction. Pull up my phone. Let me check social media. Oh, browse Facebook. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, actually it's not. Maybe it's Instagram or TikTok, depending on your age bracket, right? That kind of clocks down. Um, And then once you've done that, okay, my brain is, there's the reward. My brain is released from dealing with the problem that I was dealing with. I, I don't feel stuck. I mean, I haven't got a resolution, but I don't feel stuck anymore because I've distracted my brain from what I was in. That's how habits Work And what they do in this this cycle creates a feedback loop in your brain that self-reinforces. And the more it self-reinforces, the stronger neurological pathways are created. Pathways along which neurons in your brain travel to send signals to your brain to tell you how to fix the, the craving that you're having. So because the behavior satisfies the craving, your brain learns from that behavior. And it learns that if it wants to satisfy that craving, it simply performs the behavior. And this is this is very helpful because it actually frees our brains up to from doing active processing to create automatic functions. So I don't know if you've ever found just for those of you who can drive, ever find yourself driving to work or driving to drop your kids off at school and, and you get there and you're like, man, like how, how did I I don't remember getting here. I don't remember because your brain just knows. It knows the roots. It knows what to do. And you can just go on autopilot because it's a habit. And habitual behavior frees our brains up from having to do that cognitive processing all the time. Okay, so habits can actually be very, very helpful. It effectively allows our brain to load a preset and then just run on autopilot. And we're going to sit back, relax, and let our smart brains take care of the thing by itself. The only problem is... The part of our brain that creates habits is not able to make moral judgments about which habits are good and which habits are bad. And so when we create and get stuck in sinful habits, we make it extremely difficult for ourselves to get back to righteousness. And this plight reminds me so clearly of of Paul's kind of emotional unpacking in Romans chapter 7. So if you've got to Romans chapter 7, bring it up on the screen. Paul writes and he says this. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Because this is the little point he's making is actually about the law. But as it is, it is no longer I myself who does it. It's the sin living in me that's performing this habitual behavior. But I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I desire to do what is good, but I can't carry that desire out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who does it, but it's the sin that's living in me that's doing it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me. It's waging war against the law of my mind and it's making me a prisoner of the law of sin that's at work within me. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This. This description that Paul writes about, it fits so well, the struggle that we face in breaking sinful habits. And I'm sure all of you have faced the struggle. This is a common struggle for us as we seek to be like Jesus and to honor God. We have to break these sinful cycles in our life. And so often it feels like we're just pushing uphill. We're pushing against a wall. And we just, we want to be righteous. And we just fall short over and over and over again. And then you feel guilty and you feel terrible. And you're like, God can never love me. And it's a whole long spiel. You can just feel the hopelessness. And Paul felt that level of hopelessness. But I want you to catch his conclusion. Because we don't stay there. Not in Christ, not in Jesus. We don't stay in hopelessness. Romans seven twenty-five. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus our Lord. Whilst the picture looks bleak when we speak about breaking sinful habits, there really is, friends, there really is deliverance in Jesus. This is God's promise to us. It's a truth that I have seen God do in my life over and over again. It's actually one of the reasons we run a course called Living Free. And in that course, we explore the broader biblical teaching that empowers and enables us to break these habitual sinful behaviors. Whatever bondage we may have fallen into, Guys, friends, Jesus is able to deliver us out of that. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 5 verse 1, he says, Do you not know that it is for freedom that Jesus set you free? Jesus didn't set you free from sin so that you could continue to remain in bondage to it. He set you free so that you would be free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Friends, the great news of the gospel is that even habitual sin no longer has the power to enslave us when we live in the power that exists for us through Christ and his gospel. Let me pause for a moment because that sounds really great to say and it's true and we can say it. And, while, and this message is actually meant to be about the, the positive importance of habits and how we can use them to better allow God to work in us. But habitual sin and bondage and the bondage it keeps us in is very real. And for some of you, as you're listening to this message, you may well be struggling with some kind of habitual sinful behavior. And I want to encourage you And I want to invite you to reach out, to reach out as a leadership team. We would love nothing more than to help you on your journey from bondage to life and righteousness. And we don't come with judgments because all of us have dealt with habitual sin in our lives. And God sets us free. And that's what he desires for us. Jesus died for our sin, not so that we would continue to live in bondage to it, but so that we could Enjoy the freedom of life that God has made available to us in Christ. And so friends, I, this is an honest invitation. If you're struggling with habitual sin and you just need someone to come alongside you and to help you process it and deal with it, please contact us. You can email our office, office at connectchurch.org.za. They can put you in touch with any other pastors. You can just say, I need to speak to someone and they will help you out. Uh, we would love to help you office at connectchurch.org.ca. Okay. Let's move across to our primary focus for today's message, even though it won't take as much time because we've laid the groundwork now. In the Living Free course I referred to just now, the final step in the process for finding freedom from sinful habits is what we call replacing. And replacing is about exchanging old sinful habits for new and godly ones. And it's about choosing to set our minds on the things and the truths of God rather than whatever dysfunction we might have been locked into before. And interestingly, this is again not just a godly idea, but it's one that scientists have discovered as well. And they, they have verified it. They agree with us. This is the way in which things work see our brain is again it's designed to function through habit and so when people desire to stop a displeasing habit, scientists have found that that works best when that old habit is replaced by a new habit, a more desirable one. So let's talk about using habits to bring about godly transformation in our lives. Let me start with a couple of scriptures so you can see I'm not just making this up I'm just reading from the latest self-help book right Luke chapter 5 verse 16. But Jesus himself, Luke says, would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Here we see Jesus modeling good spiritual habits for us in his own life. He often took time to go away and to pray. It was something he did frequently. It was a habit that he had. Let's go to Luke four sixteen, 16. Right? And Jesus, as he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. Jesus had a custom. It was part of how he lived. It was a habitual behavior in his life. He would go into the town, and in order to do the job that God had given him to do, he would teach in the synagogues. And so, as was his custom, he would go to the town, go to the synagogue, and teach. It's how God worked. It's how Jesus worked. Let's go a bit further back. Let's go to the Old Testament. Let's take Joshua chapter 1. I want you to notice this is God himself speaking to Joshua. It says, Joshua 1, 7 and 8. It says, Joshua, be strong and very courageous, right? That's the part we all remember well. We're like, yeah, strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful in whatever you do. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God's command to Joshua was, amongst other things, to establish a habit that would enable him to be the leader that God needed him to be for his people. God could have simply said to him, he could have said, hey, listen, Josh, make sure that you know my commandments. Because as a leader, that's going to be extremely important for you as you lead my people into the promised land. But that's not what he said. He said, Joshua, I need you to establish this habit. Meditate on my law day and night. Because God knew that if Joshua did that, that if his study of God's word became habitual, if it became a part of his daily routine, it would be something that was well established in Joshua's life. It would be a foundation upon which he would lead from. Let's look at one more scripture. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14. The author writes and he says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I love this phrase. I love this phrase. Trained by constant practice. These people, the mature members of the congregation, they grew in their ability to discern what was good from what was evil because they had developed that ability with constant practice. I love the sports language. here. I think it's very helpful. If any of you have maybe been like me, maybe at a um, at some point in your life, maybe at the moment, right? And you've ever tried to get fit again after you were fit and, and then you you kind of got lazy, you know? Maybe, maybe like me, it's like, I don't stay fit over Christmas. Like Christmas is for eating, Christmas is for celebrating. I'm not concerned about fitness over Christmas. Well, January becomes a real hard time, right? The, the hardest thing to do when you're trying to get back to being fit is to create some kind of fitness routine to start from scratch and to do it and do it constantly and stick to it. But when that practice becomes a habit, when you decide, you know what, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm not just going to have kawaii, I'm actually going to work out, and you begin to do that over and over again, you begin to turn the corner. It becomes easier and easier to do because it becomes a part of how you live. Now, friends, I will grant you that this teaching on habits is not an abundant teaching in Scripture. It's not the key principle idea that the scripture is trying to teach us in life. But it is something that I believe is there when you look at the scripture and you have the eyes to see it. So here's what I want us to think about in light of this idea. When God brings us some form of conviction, some call to change, either in simple obedience to do something or call to turn away from something and to do something else, unless God specifically says otherwise. His conviction generally sets the goal, but not necessarily the method. Now, say that again? Unless God says something specifically to the contrary, when his conviction, his spirit, his voice, when he comes and he calls out behavioral change in us, he sets the goal, not always the method. So I want to encourage you to change your paradigm for life change. If you want to become the person God desires you to be, when God speaks, instead of just aiming at the goal and thinking only big picture, think small habit forming steps. What are the things that I can do to create a habit in my life that will keep me walking in this change that God desires in me? Let's illustrate with uh, with an example of three. Uh, let's say I get into a disagreement with someone, they just know how to push all of my buttons, and and I get angry, and I make a sharp or a barbed comment, I say or I do something that's mean, it's false, it's childish, and then later on, God convicts me of my sin. I'm like, oh God, I can't believe I did that. And I pray, and I ask God for forgiveness, and I ask God to help me not to make the same mistake again, and I let that be the end of it. What happens next time when I get into an argument? My frustration is up. My buttons are being pushed. I mean, the chances are, guys, and if you, you know, if you try this, the chances are it it happens again. And then afterwards, God convicts you again. And you're like, oh, Lord, oh, and I pray the same prayer. And I ask for help again. But what if instead of just praying for forgiveness, what if instead of just asking God to help us, what if I ask God for the wisdom to do something godly about it? And so what if, if, with God's help, I decide that whenever I get into a disagreement and I feel my frustration level rising, I choose to disengage. I take a time out. I'm like, hey, yo, I'm, look, we're having this discussion. I understand it's important, but I can feel something not good coming out of me. So I'm just going to take five minutes. I'm going to go and pray, and then we can have a conversation again. And I confess my own sin in whatever the disagreement is before the Lord and then we come back and we talk, how much better do you think I'm going to be at handling that conflict in a godly way? If that becomes the habit of how I do it. Let's take another example. Let's say I have a desire to be seeing my friends and family come to know the Lord. Well, I could just, I could just try and, and pray whenever I remember and try and be alert for opportunities when they come up. But here's something someone in my life group did recently. I thought this was awesome. God prompted them and they've been feeling this conviction from the Lord, you know, be intentional about your friends and family, friend, pray for your friends and family, friend, trust for them to come to know me as well. And so they were like, you know what, guys, this is what God has been saying to me. Here's what I want to do. I want to make a WhatsApp group and I'd like six people to join me on the group. And then every day, then one of us takes a day and we we all, we submit people that we're going to pray for as a group. And then each day we all Pray, and so someone sends through a prayer, and then we all agree with that prayer. And so every day now we're praying for about twenty people, and we're trusting God, and we're praying, and we're asking God to to reveal Himself to them, to convict them of their sins, to introduce them to life in Christ. And we're alert, we're aware. It's make it's made us more intentional about being gospel carriers. Heard another story a little while ago. Shared to a friend of mine. There's a Christian guy who's part of a cycling group. And there's there's some Christians, some non-Christians in this group. And, and they cycle a similar route uh, reasonably frequently. And so whenever they, they did this route, they would get to a certain point. There was a nice like, lookout, little break. And, and the Christian guy would say, hey, listen, guys, can we just stop for a moment? I'd like to pray. And they would stop and take a short little moment, 30 seconds, and they would pray together. And then off they would go again. And the one day they were going... And they'd forgot, he'd forgotten to do that. He was just, whatever it was, you know, it must be one of those days he was trying to get back from being unfit and just <sighs> slogging it out the back and he, and he forgot to pray. And one of the non-Christian guys said, hey, can, can we, aren't we going to pray? Let's stop and pray. Because it had become a habit. And so even for them, it's people who didn't yet know Jesus, there was a desire because God was doing something in them because there was a godly habit that was in place. When we respond to God, friends, by creating godly habits in our lives, it conditions us to act in a godly way and it builds strong godly foundations that give God even more space to work in us and to work through us for His kingdom and His glory. Let me say two things quickly before I close. The first is, and and I, I really believe godly habits are incredibly helpful and fruitful in our lives and there's a but coming Right. I really believe that. And that's the heart of what I'm encouraging us to today. But we must be careful we don't undermine the importance of obedience that needs to happen now. Sometimes when God speaks, it's something we have to do now. It's not something we can delay to create a habit in. So when when the angel came to Philip and said, listen, Philip, I want you to go. I want you to go hike these X number of kilometers. I want you to go and wait at this place. Philip had to go then because if he didn't go then, he wouldn't have met the Ethiopian eunuch who was traveling back to Africa to be able to share the gospel with him. Sometimes obedience needs to happen now, but sometimes it needs to be now and in the future. Sometimes now can be that small step that creates the habit so that always in the future I'm growing to be more and more godly. Those are the times habits need to be created. But when God calls us to do something now, let's make sure we do it now. That's what God desires. Secondly, whenever we do anything in obedience to God, it has to be done in the power of the Spirit. Guys, I cannot underemphasize this. I don't want you to come out of this and think, well, you know, this is just a humanist way of trying to be godly. It's trying to work our way into godliness. That's not it at all. Everything we do must be led and empowered by the Spirit. But I want us to think differently. So instead of just thinking, Holy Spirit, how can you just empower me to do this thing? I'm thinking, Holy Spirit, how can you help me to to create habits that make me obedient to what you're calling me to do, right? Because it's only by the grace and the power of God that we're able to be the children God desires. So that's it. That's my contention to share with you today. And it's my hope that that's been helpful and encouraging. I really pray and I trust that we would be a people that begin to put godly habits in place in our lives. And so I Invite you to think about if God is speaking to you now at the altar as you're listening to this message. What do you need to do in your life so that you can create habits to become more like Jesus? That's my invitation. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you're a good God, that you love us so much and that you are constantly at work in us, causing us to will and to act according to your good pleasure. We bless you for that, Lord. And I pray for us, God. I pray and I would ask today that as we listen to this message and as we are gathered together in this way, Lord, I pray that you would cause us as a people to begin to put godly habits in place in our lives. So that more and more consistently we are doing things that make us more and more godly. I ask for that, Lord. Give us grace to build and establish godly habits, to break Sinful habits, to thank you, God, for your power that breaks us out of the bondage of sin and leads us into life. And God, help us to replace sinful habits with habits that are godly, with habits that build life in us and give life to others. We ask this in the name of Jesus together today. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week ahead. May God go with you and may you touch others through your life. Pray this in the wonderful name of King Jesus. Amen. Bye-bye.